Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I expected the Gomer Pyle look from you. Uh-huh. First day of school. All right. What are you doing here? I know. Sort I, of a new look. I don't know what Shaggy I'm doing. Chris. I'm not even sure what I'm going to do yet with this new style and all this hair I got on my head, Mike. I did think, though, yeah. coming back, right. I thought you'd come back with a fresh haircut. You're nope. always big time I know, with right? a fresh haircut. Right? The other haircut's done. I'm what? moving on to a new one. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Did you get a haircut? Nah, just going Johnny Slick style today. But I'm not going with that same haircut anymore. It's going to be a different look. Perm? <laughs> oh, that's well done, EJ. Well done. Well done. Well done. And well done to whoever made $350 for the Chris Sims haircut. In Manhattan this past weekend. Do you still Not go to Manhattan, Manhattan to get no, your haircut? No, those days are gone. I mean, I used to do that, right, because I was working in Manhattan, so it made sense, right? But now, no, I'm not going into to New York City just to get a haircut. So, Surely you can find a place in Greenwich. Yes. mean streets of Greenwich. There's plenty of... Where you can get yourself a 25-cent haircut. Yeah, no, there's plenty of salons going around on Greenwich Ave and things like that. Yeah, there's plenty of the, the hootie-tootie type of places around town for sure. So this is the new deal, Mike. Here we go. We'll see how it goes. But I'm going Johnny Traditional. Like I said, I'm going to part it, comb it over, do all that. Uh, give it a try here for a few weeks. It was, it was a big weekend in a lot of ways. There's a fine line between combing it over and comb over. Just yes. so you understand. Yes. Just so you understand. You, you, you got I a little bit of Diana's spit back there, plastering it down in the back. I don't know if we're concealing any any holes in your natural, as Fred Sanford Not used to at say. All. But Just straight all right. pomade in here, just straight pomade. So I got the hair straight this weekend. And then the other thing I did, which were yesterday was a really big day because – I have made the decision that I'm going to take the month of August off from smoking. So yesterday was my last day of smoking for a while. I'm no more daddy cigars. That was a a tough moment, but uh, I'm going to try to 
be good this month and and not do that. Give my lungs a little bit of a break. I'm confused because yeah. I yeah. thought it was medicinal. It's like but, you're not going to take your prescription for a month. I'm, well, I'm very perplexed by I, this. Yeah, that's all right. It does. It has its medicinal. It does have its medicinal values. There's no doubt. But there's some other things that are negative about it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna back off a little a little less retox and a full month of detox this month is what we're going for. See, now you're inspiring me to at least take the week off from smoking the non-daddy but still not for kids cigar the one that has tobacco in it because friday night it was the end of a long week went down to my barn hung out did a little work down there reached into the humidor had a cigar enjoyed it saturday night sitting outside 80 degrees beautiful night right walked down to the barn reached into the humidor had a little cigar enjoyed it it's hard on summer nights yeah last night now now Full disclosure, and since I already violated my wife's HIPAA rights four weeks ago, I'll violate my son's HIPAA rights. He has COVID, oh, I as forgot. I texted you. Yeah. And I'm now in the maybe I have it, maybe I don't phase as we wait out whether or not the virus is replicating by the millions in my body. So I figured, what the hell? I'll fight it with a little tobacco last night down in the barn as I tried to get away as far as I could from my son and stayed down in the barn for three hours. I had another. So this week, it's not going to happen because there's no way I could do a fourth night in a row. I don't think I would survive it. Right. But Tuesday night, Canton. Wednesday night, Canton. Thursday night, Canton. I won't bring a travel humidor. Yeah, right. And 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 also, I'm I'm in this – I'm in this – because what I did when I found out, my son was at the beach, got home Saturday, was fine. I sat with him and my wife, and we had dinner. And then late at night, he started to not feel great. But he, he's had, he has mild symptoms, but still, I mean, you got to raise your hand and say, hey, I've been exposed, and that's what I did, and now we Yep, sorry I didn't respond to your text. Uh, I, I meant to. Yeah, I that's was, all right. I yeah. wanted you to know. I wanted, yeah, to, I wanted I to make that. you aware right. because ideally, unless I do flip negative to positive in the next couple of days, we will be together Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in Canton for PFT Live. So we'll see how. That all goes. But big week. Football's back. It was back together Saturday, yep. if you didn't notice. We cranked out a lot of content over the weekend because yes, there's a lot did. of stuff happening. The slow time is over. It was a long couple of days, but it was a fun couple of days because there's so much going on right now in the National Football League. And obviously, there's one thing going on. Before I say that, though, please subscribe to our NFL on NBC YouTube page, if you haven't. The numbers are working their way up. And we haven't identified the program. It's a Monday, so I may as well do that. PFT Live, Peacock, Sirius XM 85, Sky Sports at 7 o'clock, I assume. I haven't heard any differently. Prime time on our network in the U.K., and uh, we appreciate everyone over there. Okay, so one of the items of news we're anticipating today that we've yeah. been anticipating for Whoa. a while. big. Judge Sue Robinson has informed the parties that today is the day. The decision is coming. She didn't get the memo about the Friday afternoon bad news dump. There was a report from the AP on Friday that there would be no ruling on Friday, which means she told everyone there's going to be no ruling on Friday, which in a roundabout way is kind of like last call for alcohol. If you're going to try to settle this thing, this is your chance. This is it. If you want to work out a solution that you both Kind of like and kind of don't like, now's the time to do it. Because come Monday, there's going to be a decision, guys. 
that somebody's going to hate and somebody's going to love. Potentially, it could be a little of both, but your last chance to work this out among yourselves was this weekend, and obviously, Chris, they didn't do it. I'm told they weren't even close, and now we wait. Some point today, will it be early, will it be late, will it be somewhere in between, lunchtime, whatever, we wait for Sue Robinson's decision on whether Deshaun Watson will be disciplined and if so, for how many games? Right. I mean, we know he's going to be disciplined. I just think the big thing is the the how many games. I mean, to me, that's that's the the thing we've talked about for over you know the last year, year and a half. It's just when this happens and there is a suspension. You know, where is the NFL going to go with this? There's so many things that play into it. We know, yeah, all the things that are going on. You know, as far as uh, figuring some of these civil cases out. You know, settling the cases all together. But but at the end of the day, I just uh, – it's gone all over the map, I guess, is what I'm saying as far as the rumors, what we thought, where he could be suspended. I mean, I, I feel like three, four months ago, I would have been like for sure when we were in the middle of the spring, he's going to get suspended for a year. There's no way out of that. But I feel like – ever I don't know, Mike, and maybe you correct me if I'm wrong. Ever since I feel like the argument came out that – hey, the owners have not been held as accountable as some of these players are being held, and we have some owners who have, you know, we, we could a little bit of apples-to-apples apples type of situations here with Deshaun Watson to a degree, and I feel like ever since that case was made that, hey, some of those owners didn't get suspended or they just got a slap on the wrist, I, I feel like that's the start of, well, it doesn't seem like Deshaun Watson's going to get a full-year suspension anymore which to me is dicey in the current climate like we've talked about with the Trevor Bauer thing and the Major League Baseball and how much attention has been around this. But at the same time, it feels like there's something to stand on there a little bit. And it does seem like a year might be too long in this type of case if you really do compare it to what the owners got in some of their scenarios. Not to say they're all as egregious as this, but there is some comparisons to be made there. Well, I know for me, that was kind of an aha I feel like it went that way ever since then. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. But, but there are other factors as well I know. to remember as it relates to what was presented and what wasn't presented to Judge Sue L. Robinson. And this is where it's going to be very difficult for the union, for the league, and for Deshaun Watson if and when Judge Robinson issues a ruling that falls far short of what the league has pushed for. The league has pushed for an indefinite ban of at least one year. And if she comes in at six or eight games, there's going to be a lot of people who are confused. There's going to be a lot of people who don't understand because the public at large has been aware of 24 civil lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. The public at large has had access to the HBO Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel feature that began sort of a disintegration of the situation for Deshaun Watson back in late May. Two more lawsuits were filed. There was the New York Times article saying that there are at least 66 of these women that he's arranged private massages with in the past year and a half, two years, whatever the timeline was. And and it just contributed to a sense it was getting out of control for Deshaun Watson. Yes, and it culminated I... in 20 of the lawsuits settling. And now, now, just within the past hour or so, Tony Busby tells ESPN that three more have settled, so we're down to one. Right. There's only one left as we get ready for the, the, the ruling from Judge Robinson. But in the hearing that lasted three days that she conducted, the NFL ultimately only presented evidence of four individuals. And we don't know why they whittled down to four. Were there the 
they the four strongest? Were they the four that were willing to cooperate? Right. We've talked in the past about the fact that the NFL doesn't have subpoena power, so they're they're stuck when they get in a situation like this. They have people who have a civil complaint or a criminal complaint against a player, but unless you can convince that person to show up and testify, you get nothing when the time comes to present it to the independent disciplinary officer. So it's just four, not 24. You've got the issue, as you mentioned, of the treatment of owners. And that's important because the personal conduct policy says, point blank, owners will be held to a higher standard. Then there's a question where this fits under the personal conduct policy. No evidence of violence. No evidence of duress. No evidence of any type of assault. That possibly shifts it out of a category that would call for a minimum suspension of six games. And it tucks it into a more general catch-all any type of behavior that undermines the integrity or puts people at risk or et cetera, et cetera, the last two bullet points in the personal conduct policy. So if the NFL wants to find a violation to wedge conduct into, it can. It it makes it a little tougher. And, Chris, there's one other factor, too, that I think is going to be very relevant to her decision. The full history of other players who have been disciplined under the personal conduct policy because there have been more than we remember. Yeah. And – And some of them we may not have even known about because the player wasn't a big enough of a deal for it to be a story. Yep. But but there's some – and i got to be careful here. But I had my recollection refreshed last night on a few things that made me say it's not just comparing him to the owners. It's comparing him to other players. I'll give you one, for example, that we all know about. Jameis Winston. Sure. He was accused of physically assaulting an Uber driver, hands on the driver. Yep. Right? And he got three games. Right. And he's got a history right. of allegations against him. And right. that becomes an aggravating factor when it's time to figure out the punishment. And he got three games. So th- those are just things to remember. At the end yeah. of the day, it's not 24, it's four. There's no evidence of assault, no evidence of violence, no evidence of. Anything that would fall under that six-game minimum baseline punishment, and and yeah, I I think that I think that a lot of people are going to be surprised today because a lot of people haven't been paying attention. If you've been paying attention, you're not going to be surprised, right? You're because you think the people that haven't been paying attention are expecting to hear twelve games a year, or something like that, yes. and you get the gut feeling, pasta and meatballs, that it's going to be what six, eight, four. Somewhere in there, Mike. I mean, are you starting to somewhere think in it, there? Yeah, six I mean, to eight. Yeah, six okay, to eight. six to eight. That's 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 the pasta and meatballs feeling. I'm right with now. you there, though. I I feel like it's in that range too. And then, I, Mike, I just want to ask you this. You know, with a little bit of your legal expertise and you have great experience with these these kind of matters, it's just like, all right, um, Watson's saying he won't appeal, right? No matter what Judge Sue Robinson uh, comes down with, you know, th- there was that report this weekend, and then. Of course, the settling of three out of the last four of these last cases. Like, do you think there's anything to glean there with that? Is that being done for a reason? Do they say yes. they're not going to appeal because they know that Judge Robinson's not going to go over any other great number? I thought that was like a big statement to be put out there. I mean, if it's a year, I would think they're going to appeal. I would, th- I would th- think you throw out a, we're not going to appeal no matter what, when you have a feel that, oh, they, okay, the suspension's going to be somewhat appealing to us. And won't be that bad. But, again, I'm just, you know, trying to connect dots here. I don't know that. Well, well, there's, there's one important point before I answer your question. Yeah. 
They haven't come out and said we waive conclusively and completely any appeal rights under the personal conduct policy. All they've said is we will stand by her ruling. Now, if she ends up giving them a ruling that is far different from what they expect, they may not stand by it. And they're not going to be bound by the statement that they issued last night. If Deshaun Watson says, wait a minute, you guys told me that she wasn't going to suspend me for a year. Well, hell yeah, I'm not going to stand by that. and We're going to file our appeal. I think that the statement that came out last night reflects very real confidence in where this is going to go right? relative like to it. where the NFL wants it to go. Right. 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 Secondly, I think that the NFL PA, to the extent they didn't understand this when they agreed to the new procedure in 2020, they now know that in this case and in every case, the NFL has the right to appeal to the NFL. Who is the NFL? The NFL is Roger Goodell. The appeal would go, as long as any discipline is issued, to the commissioner or his designee. And the designee typically is someone who does what the commissioner wants the commissioner to have done. And so if you can publicly shame them into saying, sure, fine, we'll accept her ruling, they're giving up their ability to rig the game. We have used the term, or at least I have, many times in recent months, secret rigged kangaroo court. That's when it's a coach, a non-player, who has an arbitration clause in their contract that says the commissioner is the one who resolves any dispute regarding this in any way, shape, or form. And it's all secret. Nobody knows what's going on. There is a bit of rigging under the personal conduct policy because Judge Robinson has the first crack at this. But then it goes to the commissioner. Yeah. And there's nothing in there. And I don't want to get too deep into the legal weeds. But, you know, every judge that, that is working in the normal capacity of judge within a court system has to worry about the possibility of someone higher right. reversing the decision. Right. Because I, I caught wind last night of an idea that, well, you know, hey, if Roger Goodell throws out her decision and she does six or eight and he does a full season, maybe she just quits. It's like, well, judges would be quitting every day. Judges have their rulings overturned all the time. I don't see her storming out if Roger Goodell says, we appreciate your efforts, but we disagree with your outcome. But the, the key to remember is it goes back to Goodell, and there's no standard. There's no deference. There are different buzzwords that you'll hear under the law, like you only overturn a decision if it's arbitrary and capricious or if there's an abuse of discretion or something like that. The way the personal conduct policy is written, Goodell can do whatever he wants. Yeah, he can't pretty much, right? have a new hearing. Right. He can't change any of the facts, Chris. But if he wants, he can say, for example, well, you decided four. Okay, fine. We want 17. I decide 17. I think this is more egregious than you did. And I firmly believe that they're going to be monitoring very closely how people react to her decision because even though they've set this up to say we didn't do it she did it they, they've been the judge jury and executioner for so long in these matters i don't think most people are going to understand that nuance and the nfl is going to get blamed the nfl is going to be perceived as being too lenient right. not judge robinson so they're going to be ready to exercise their yeah. appeal rights yep. and and potentially dramatically expand this punishment if everybody loses their shit over the final outcome, like they did with Ray Rice yeah, in 2014, if there's an avalanche of what in the hell happened here, 
that's when they're more likely to activate the appeal process. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I can see that happening. I can. I mean, I think you said it right in the fact that I think there's a lot of, like, you know, common football fans out there that don't know some of these bylaws of the CBA and these little intricate details here that aren't going to understand that. And you're right. It has a chance to look, you know, lenient or not that bad. That's where – this is where – to me, this is – and, again, I'm going to throw something out there again where I just would like to hear it. This is one where – I'm going to be interested, of course, of the original ruling from from Sue Robinson. But then, yes, to see the reaction, because I got to think, I mean, we know Roger Goodell. Yes, he's the commissioner of football. But this is one I would think that there's been many conversations with all the owners in football, or at least the major players here, as far as how to handle this, how this is going to make the league look. And I would think in a lot of ways – like the decision between Roger Goodell and the five or 10 owners that he trusts to talk about this, or maybe all the other 31 other than Jimmy Haslam, I would think there's already a pretty like base thought out there of like, no, he, he needs to serve at least this. Like th- th- This is not good for the game. And that's where I would think this is going to be a little confusing too, because I would think some of the owners have, you know, interest in this and the way it looks. And for some of the reasons that you've already, you know, uh, elaborated on. I think the real question from a strategic standpoint, when the NFL made it known that they were pushing for an indefinite suspension, minimum of one year, yeah, was that an effort to set the bar high so Judge Robinson lands in the middle and it's a higher middle, the higher the bar is? You know, if you want 12, four to six is the happy medium. If you want 17 plus, 8 to 12 becomes the sweet spot. Was it a ploy to get her to go higher, or was it just a preview of coming attractions? Right. Sorry, we want 17. We've made it known from the get-go we want 17. We went along with this procedure because we've agreed to it. But NFLPA and everyone else out there, we have the hammer. We still have the hammer. He's no longer judge, jury, and executioner, but he's still the appeals court. And – The person with the last word tends to have the most power. So a lot of this was aimed at distancing Roger Goodell from having to get in the weeds and make the original decision. But he still retains the right to make the final decision. And I remember when they were selling this two years ago as they were trying to get the rank and file to vote in favor of of a CBA right at the time the pandemic was starting and everything was confusing and the vote was a lot closer than anyone expected. At some point, someone said, well, they're going to have a new personal conduct policy where there's an independent voice that makes the final decision. And I remember thinking, okay, Roger Goodell is going to make the first decision and there's going to be a real appeal to someone independent who makes the final say without the league being able to put its thumb on the scale and make whatever decision it wants. And then when I saw the final document, it's like, well, That's not what I was led to believe. The commissioner still has the power. And that's the other side of this, too. The league is not in the habit. This is a point Peter King made in Football Morning in America, and I think we've discussed this in the past. The league is not in the habit of giving up its rights. No way. Collectively bargained rights. Hey, sorry, NFLPA, you don't like this? You don't like the fact that we're not bound by her decision? You don't like the fact that we're not going to stand by her decision and we're going to exercise the right to appeal to Roger Goodell, you know, the guy whose autograph is on every football, the guy who runs the sport. You don't like it. One way to change it. Let's go to the bargaining table. And you want to offer us something? 
You want to, you want, you want to make us an offer to give up that power? We'll do it. And I think there's a lot of that reminding of the union of the NFL's power when we get in these cases one at a time because this is just part of the, the constant power struggle between labor and management. Yeah, sure. I mean, yes, and, and labor is does not have the same type of power as management does, as we know. Nor you know, nor are they, you know, is is management held to the same standard as, as the labor, you know, department there. They're not. You can say what you want. That's where it's, it's this is gonna be very interesting to see how this plays out today and where it goes. Uh I'm I'm I, I really am I can't wait for a lot of reasons. One, it's been so long. Two, I'd love to see Cleveland be able to move on and figure out what they're going to do in the whole NFL and all that. Deshaun Watson, even for him. I mean, you know, guilty, not guilty, whatever. Holy cow, is he had to be put through a whole lot of stuff here. So uh, I just, I'm ready to get it done with so we can stop speculating here and having these type of conversations. One more point that just flashed into my brain, though, as you were saying that. And you mentioned that, Roger Goodell undoubtedly has talked to the owners who actually run the league. And we know by now that's how it goes. Yes, there's 32, but the power rests with five to 10, as you said. Right. Well, to the extent that the process before Judge Robinson attempted to drag Robert Kraft, Jerry Jones, Dan Snyder, not they really care about him, Kraft and Jones into it. We've already heard that if the suspension uh, ultimately from the appeals process is one year, there will be a lawsuit, a federal lawsuit. And I don't think that there, there are high hopes of winning because Tom Brady lost, Ezekiel Elliott lost. You've got a system created by labor and management for resolving these disputes. Judges don't like to get involved. I'm right. going to be skeptical about a lawsuit that goes to federal court. However, to the extent that it bugs Robert Kraft or Jerry Jones to get dragged into this thing. Yeah, right. The idea that it continues to drag out and becomes a federal case. Yeah. Oh, what are you doing? You're making a federal case out of it. It literally becomes a federal case. Right. That could be that could be something that when Roger Goodell is making the rounds to the people that he ultimately answers to. Yeah, right. Couple of those phone calls may be, yeah, you know, I just kind of like this thing to go away. Right. I just right. kind of like this to end. All's well that ends. That was the old Pete Roselle saying for, or Paul Tagley, but one of the former commissioners. All was all's well that ends. And there may be some of the owners that just want this to end because that. that and and look, I said this before. I'll say it again, and probably again. The NFL is going to be dragged down by these comparisons between players and owners in Definitely. every one of these cases going forward. The, the union has found a silver bullet that they can continue to reload. You come after a player, fine. Let's look at what has happened to owners who have been accused of similar things. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think it's probably the, the best thing that Deshaun Watson and his side have going for him is just that argument right there. Like, uh, like we started off the segment. I feel like whenever that argument was brought into the, public, the court of public opinion – that's from that moment on, I feel like that's when I started to think, oh, Deshaun Watson might not get suspended for a full year. It seemed like it started going the other way ever since then, and I can understand that. And I think it's delicate. You know, to like we've talked about so much with Dan Snyder 
and you know the owners maybe not wanting to push him out too much to expose some of what they got. This isn't that far, you know, that different either. It's 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 just yeah. Let's not. These owners don't want the spotlight on them for some of the bad things they've done in the past here, and then have that drug you know drug out in the the court of public appeal. No way. You're exactly right. So uh, I, I think you're onto something there too, to where maybe that you know helps Watson out in his camp a little bit. That's why they use it. Look, everything that has happened, every argument that's been made, every leak that has occurred is part of a broader strategy aimed ultimately at winning in the court of public opinion. That's the biggest problem here. The entire apparatus is a PR tool. 99.9% of the employers in this country <clears throat> will not get involved in an individual employee's criminal matters, civil matters, as long as they didn't happen on the property on the premises, and they're unrelated to the work, there's nothing the employer can or should do. As long as you can show up for work, you got a job. And there have been employers who have gotten themselves into jackpots by trying to micromanage and saying, well, you know, we really don't like the allegation that was made against this person. we got to find a way to get rid of them. The NFL and the NFLPA have agreed to make all these things that happen, any time of the year, any place in the world where you may be, you're still on the clock, even if you're not on the clock. Anything you do can and will be held against you by us. And it's all driven by currying favor with the general public. You want the fans to feel good about the people who are wearing the helmets and the uniforms and out there on the field. So let's remember that because we can get caught up in the weeds of the Deshaun Watson hearing before Judge Robinson and what the evidence was, what the evidence wasn't, how the personal conduct policy applies, and it becomes a quasi-legal proceeding. At the end of the day, though, all the NFL cares about is how will people react to this. And with Roger Goodell holding that final say, he has a way to fix it. He has a way to rig it. He has a way to get to a ruling that will get people to leave him alone. And he surely remembers 2014. Chris, my estimation is seven to ten nights he went to bed wondering Am I going to have to resign tomorrow? Yeah. That's how bad it was right. once the Ray Rice video came yeah, out. Sure. And it I all remember. happened because yeah. he was too lenient with Ray Rice. And a, a few years later, we saw him be anything but too lenient with Ezekiel Elliott. And I remember saying then, hey, he's never going to be accused of being too lenient ever again. Ezekiel Elliott never arrested, never charged, never even sued, got six games. So that, that's the thing to remember here. This is all kind of moving toward, well, six to eight games. It's not going to be as bad as we thought. The last word continues to be held by the guy who saw what happens when people think you're too lenient with players who engage in misconduct involving women. Remember that as this day unfolds and as the week unfolds and as next week unfolds as we get closer to what may be Roger Goodell having the last word on this case. Yeah, I know. I, I, I Listen, it's, 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 it's a tough one. I don't have much more to say about it, but I, I understand, you know, Goodell, the NFL, wanting to look the right way or wanting it to appear to look the right way. And again, too, I, I had this conversation with a friend this weekend a little bit. You know, there is a difference between the player and the owner to a degree. Yes, the owner should be held to a very high standard. There's no doubt about it. They're the owner. They're the one that, that, that is, you know, leading the charge. But at the same time, too, hey, the player, 
is going to be on the TV screen in front of our face for four hours every Sunday. Highlights, blah, 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 blah. And that just adds fuel to the fire with something like this, too. So that's where it's even maybe a little bit more of a delicate situation. You know, it's all the highlight shows, everything. You know, you're going to see Watson everywhere. And if they win and they're doing well and he's doing well, you know, how is that going to look for the league? I think all those things got to be, you know, in the balance or a part of the conversation as far as the suspension is concerned. This whole thing. This whole in-house justice system flows from how's it going to look and how are people going to react and how are people going to respond. And people have asked me all along, why do you care about the court of public opinion? He's been vindicated in criminal court. The civil cases are pending. We don't know what's going to happen there. Why do you care about the court of public opinion? Because at the end of the day, that's what drives the NFL's bus. And the NFL has its own apparatus that it's crafted, but it ultimately is about coming up with an outcome, and coming up with a way to get there. You create a maze where you work backward or you do whatever you have to do to get to where you want to be. They use that, that personal conduct policy protocol to get to where they think they need to be. It's a little bit more delicate now that there's somebody else involved in the middle. But as long as they still have control at the end, they can get to where they want to be. And how the public reacts to what Judge Robinson does is going to be a huge factor, I believe, and what the NFL does next. All right, we'll be monitoring it all day long at profootballtalk.com. I'll be ready to do an emergency episode of PFTOT to break it all down once the decision comes out. Hopefully the decision won't be too late in the day. Don't want to in- interfere with my dinner. Mm-hmm. Very, I'm very stringent about making sure I eat my dinner at the same time every night or at least within the same range. But I have a feeling it's going to happen well enough you know, in advance of the end of the day for people to begin the process of unpacking it, understanding it, reading it, if it's made available, and it should be. And we'll have it all broken down here at PFT and all of our other various platforms. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, let's move on. The other big news. And it's amazing how things change. It really is. The guy comes out and says he's asked for a trade. The guy's out in a club and they're walking through with a sign that says, Debo Samuel will stay with the 49ers, cut to Debo Samuel, and he's doing this. And then all of a sudden, everything's fine. And now, it was three days after DK Metcalf does his contract with Seattle, a very similar deal negotiated by the same agent, but with a different team in the division, 49ers and Debo Samuel work out a three-year extension worth $71.55 million with $58.1 million guaranteed. The deal isn't official yet. When it is official, I'll get the full breakdown, and we'll see exactly how it works and do a real apples-to-apples comparison to DK Metcalf. But Debo got his deal. It looked like it wasn't going to happen. It felt different after the draft, Chris, and then it was just a matter of letting it all play out, and it did. Yeah, it did. You know, we've had this conversation a lot. I think this is, you know, one of the positives of Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. They don't panic. They didn't get their feelings hurt. You know, it didn't become personal when some of this stuff went out. They kind of just let, you know, things calm down a little bit. They started to reach out, got some conversations that sound like, and they slowly but surely chipped away at Debo Samuel and whatever was bothering them and got to this. And 
you know, again, it's this, this is the genius of Shanahan and his ability to communicate. I do think that for sure. And then I think also when you add in the desperation or the real need, we're talking about a team that is definitely Super Bowl caliber, young quarterback like we've talked about, by far the best weapon on their offense, and especially when you're talking about Shanahan and how creative it is and all the different things he does there. And now you all, you know, the support of Trey Lance, it just all made too much sense that it wouldn't get done. And uh, I'm just, I'm happy to see it. I'm happy for my friend Kyle Shanahan, happy for Debo Samuel. I will say, I thought the number would be a little bit bigger. I'm surprised by that. But nonetheless, I'm glad one of the best teams in football got their best player back. Why did you think the number would be higher? I just thought it would because of the role he plays within the football team. The argument we've talked about is that, you know, he takes a little bit more punishment than A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf. You know, he's clearly a special player with the ball in his hand. I mean, 18 yards per catch, but 18 yards per catch, Mike, with an offense that threw the ball in the air as short as anybody in the game. So that means he's getting the 18 yards. He's catching it for four and getting 14 more yards. He's catching a screen behind the line of scrimmage and getting 20 more yards. That, to me, is special. He's the leading receiver on the team by far, and then the second leading rusher, and definitely the biggest weapon that way. So that's where... I was a little surprised. I think not only the role on the football team, but then I thought there would be almost a little bit of a surcharge to go, wait, I, I take more hits and put my body out there more than the rest of these guys. You got to pay me for that. that. That's where I guess I was a little surprised, Mike. That graphic, can we put the graphic back up? The graphic was accurate, but let's remember some of these deals have some BS baked in yeah, the back right. end. I, I chafe every time I see Tyree killing $30 million do. per year. <laughs> Technically, it's accurate, but the last year of that contract – is worth a value that is so high it drives up the number to 30 million. That is a look at me clause in the contract to try to get him above the rest. I don't know that he's got the best deal of any of them. And the key is this the other guys, especially when you look at Metcalf, Samuel, and Brown, they're back at the trough four years at the latest. Right. And if their team wants to keep them, they're going to be negotiating a new contract in only three years, and they're all going to still be in their 20s. So they're in a pretty good situation. And Hill's in a spot where he can have this window dressing to make it look like he's the highest-paid receiver in the NFL when his deal may not be quite as great as advertised by uh, the, the actual terms that have been cooked into it uh, because that last year is never actually going to be on it. There was an interesting thing uh, that came up on Saturday when Kyle Shanahan met with reporters, and you've touched on it, the role of Debo Samuel. Kyle got a little pissy because the reporters asked him whether or not the role yeah, was I saw that. playing a role right. in the contract talks. Right. And he said it has nothing to do with that. And he acted like it was all generated by people who don't know what they're talking about the quote was i know there's a lot of noise for five months and tweets and a lot of people are repeating what someone else said and repeating and repeating and repeating but when a guy all of a sudden doesn't want to be with a team anymore and he doesn't say why well those of us out here who cover the sport are left to try to figure out why and we had debo samuel with us at the Super Bowl, and he explained how it came to be that all of a sudden he's this dual threat where he's getting the ball eight, nine, ten times a game as a running back. And it wasn't like it's something he went and said, I want to do this. 
I, I want I want more wear and tear on my body. I'd right. like to shorten my career, please. I'd like to be in a bunch of car crashes per game that make it harder for me to recover for next week as I get older and older. Yes, I would very much like to play two roles instead of one. That that leads to the reasonable conclusion that either he doesn't want to do that or he wants to be paid for it. That's right. And so, Chris, Chris, we see he's not being paid for it. So now the question is, is he still going to be doing it or are they just going to revert to – We've got a stable of running backs that will do that, and we're only going to use Debo in the most extreme cases where we feel like we need him because of either injury or he brings a level of intensity that we want to use to our advantage. Yeah, I, I think that there's a, there's a few things you said there. I mean, one, yeah, I think first off, you're right. I mean, it's fair to ask Kyle Shanahan that question. I don't know why he yeah he got a little you know disturbed by it or whatever, but I, I think it's it's perfectly normal. I think there's a lot of really smart football minds that are out there that were wondering the same thing and wondering if that was part of the equation here for the unhappiness. So you know yeah I don't know why he got a little bit mad at that altogether. And then I think to your, to your point there, I don't think they wanted to run Debo Samuel quite as much as they want did at the end of the season. I think a little bit was forced because of running back injuries, and then he was having a little success, and there was a necessity, so they had to do it. So I do think that that'll be dialed back to a degree, but I still have a hard time thinking that big games, big situations, that he's still going to be the main focus of the offense, and some of those plays are going to be that right there. You know, I, I am. So that that's, yeah, I'm surprised. He got paid. I, I know that, so he's happy. Um, but yes, like like you said, like I like I'm saying, I thought it would be a little bit more, and yeah, I'll be interested to see where this goes. You know, I look at it in some ways and go, whoa, to see the 49ers, they got three year extension. Run, maybe they're going to beat them up, run them in the ground. They don't want to go longer than that. Maybe they're going, well, let's see where he's at after two or three years after we run the run the ball the way he did last year. That's crossed my mind for sure. The other thing that crossed my mind too, Mike, is the structure of the deal, the way it looks is, you know, there's a good chance too. It's a two-year, $58 million contract. He could be done with those first two years basically and just go, wait, the third year, it doesn't make sense. We're, we're uh, I'm Send out the – the the champagne again that says Debo won't be a 49er and let's go back to the table. I think all those things could be on the horizon. Sorry I said so much there. I just had to get it out. No. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things we got to yeah. remember. Right. Just because a guy's in a contract for four years doesn't mean we have four years of tranquility. Yeah, right. No way. Right. Kyle, no way. You think we're going to have seven years of peace and quiet between Kyler Murray and the Cardinals after everything that happened this week? Even without <laughs> everything that happened last week. Yeah. We were three, four years away from Kyler Murray saying, hey, my contract kind of sucks in comparison to everyone else's right now. So that's the thing to remember. We have seen player empowerment. Guys who are finding a way out of the teams that they don't want to be on any longer. More and more teams adopting Mike Tomlin's we want volunteers, not hostages mindset. And as the cap goes up and up, as contracts get better and better, you're going to have more guys with wandering eyes. And now they feel like they have a way to act on it that actually can be effective. Unlike Terrell Owens in 2005 when he wanted either a new contract or out of Philadelphia. And their attitude was you signed a contract, live with it. And we saw how it blew up on them. And ultimately, Terrell Owens was ahead of his time because more and more players of that mindset yeah. are now getting what they want. So, Debo Samuel in a couple of years may decide, I want out. DK Metcalf in a couple of years may decide, I want out. Kyler Murray may decide in a couple of years, if not sooner, I want out. Something to keep in mind. Um, and, uh, again, we'll see what the full details are, but it's typically better for the player to, to have a shorter deal. Because it's those 
back end year. Sometimes there's the phony baloney back end year uh, that like Tyree kill and others. It's just back end years that are very favorable to the team that don't carry a high salary. And you got to convince the team to rip it up at a time when it's like, Hey, we've paid you the bulk of the money up front. Now this is where we get to have it a little bit easier. We get the benefit of this bargain. We gave you security and yeah, it may be below market, but too bad. We were above market when it all first started. Let me say one more thing about yeah. what he did as a running back. Cause I think it's important to remember. Yep. Eight games last year, first eight weeks of the season, they may have had their bye, but it was through the first eight weeks he had six total carries. And then it was that Monday night game against the Rams. Right. The OBJ debut yeah. and everything was going to be great. And the Must win for the 49ers. It was a bad spot. Kick the yeah. crap out of Right. Him. That was the game where it started. Right. That's where he got five carries in one game after having six all year long combined. Yep. Then they had a short week. Sunday game after the Monday night, he had eight. For the rest of the regular season, it was six, eight, six, five, seven, and eight. Then came the playoffs. Against the Cowboys, wild card round, he had 10. Against the Packers, divisional round, he had 10. And then against the Rams, he had seven. So they really ramped it up because it was working. There was a quote at one point where Kyle Shanahan said, when I see basically the look in Debo's eye, yeah. when I hear him say I want right. the ball, yeah. I trust it. Other guys I don't, with him I do. That, how do you get Kyle Shanahan to, to keep that club in his bag when that's, he knows yeah, that he I can know. rely on it? I know. That's, I, that's why I, I don't, you know, I have a hard time thinking that that'll happen. I think we're going to be closer to the 6 and 10 carries, you know, a game. Um, hopefully they can keep the running backs healthy. But, you know, I guess what I worry about is just like what you just explained. Yeah, it was they were 3 and 5. Things were desperate. Oh, no. We got to kind of start winning from here on out. And that's when they started riding Debo Samuel hard week in and week out. So that's that's what I worry about for him again this year, especially, you know, NFC West. It's good. You're fighting for your life. All of a sudden you're sitting there and you're going, damn, we're a Super Bowl team, but we're only four and three. And that's where you start to go, well, let me think about Debo again. And that, that's that's where, you know. Uh, I'll be interested to see, but I would think Shanahan's going to have a hard time, you know, not putting him in there in those situations as well. Mike, I agree with you there. A.J. Brown made a comment in the aftermath of the Debo Samuel deal that of the contracts that were given to Brown, Debo Samuel, D.K. Metcalf, and Terry McLaurin, all of us got the same deal, and I'm the only one who got traded, so keep believing it was me. He's still salty about the perception that, he wanted out of Tennessee. Yeah, that's the end just of the wrong. Day, Tennessee decided right. we don't want to make the investment, so we're going to move this guy and take a first-round pick for him, draft his replacement, and hope that Traylon Burks can develop into A.J. Brown when you already had A.J. Brown. That's what's so weird about trading a guy under his first contract. Second contract, different yeah. story altogether. Tyree Kill was closing in on the end of his second contract. Devontae Adams had concluded the full term of his second contract. But when you have a guy that is entering year four that you drafted in round two, you scratched off the lottery ticket and it's a winner, you don't throw it back for another lottery ticket. And I know that keeping that winning lottery ticket costs you millions. That's the irony of this. You don't win, you get a great player, but you win the right to pay the guy a crap load of money. But they just didn't want to do it. 
and this is going to be a great experiment. Uh, I can't what wait. does Brown do for the Eagles? Right. What does Burks do for the Titans? And will the Titans regret it? And I think other teams, look, we, we know how this goes. It's going to affect other negotiations. It's going to affect other teams because if it blows up on Tennessee and another team is thinking about doing the same thing, they have to factor that in because they're going to get killed if it blows up on them because they've already seen it. Yeah. For, for the Titans, this is a new experiment. If it doesn't work, for the next one it doesn't work for, you can't say you were surprised. Yeah, no doubt. No, no, no. I, I think, I think that, that case, of course, is going to be you know, under a microscope. Tyree Kill with Kansas City, same thing there. And then even Devontae Adams, even though it wasn't the same situation where I know Green Bay offered him big money and you know, supposedly offered him more, you know, either way, we have we're gonna have the the experience to see, wait, here's three teams that heavily relied on one guy at receiver. They didn't want to pay him. They thought they can replenish, you know, using other other assets and things, draft free agency, and still make it look the same that way. And I think the whole league is gonna have their their eye on on the these situations. I, I do. You know, yeah, you said it. There's a ton of great receivers coming out every year, but there is something about the proven commodity. And we're watching three guys that are proven to be some of the best receivers in football, and teams go, wait, we're not going to pay them, and now they're going to be somewhere else. And, yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how it plays out. I definitely will be. Some folks like to make this game seem a lot more complicated than it really is for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's pretty damn simple. And why would the the Eagles – make the trade for A.J. Brown when there are so many great receivers out there that you can find in the draft? Well, they took Jalen Rieger while Justin Jefferson was still on the board. There's no guarantee that that guy that you've scouted, that guy you've fallen in love with, is going to make it at the next level. Just because there are more great receivers than ever before, you could take the Nikhil Harry while Metcalf, Brown, and Debo are all still left, and you don't know how it's going to play out. And, and that's the big risk. That, that's why I'm, I'm surprised the Titans did it. I'd love to know how on board with that approach Mike Frabel was because he said not long before A.J. Brown was traded, he's not getting traded as long as I'm here. And I really do think there's a disconnect between him and John Robinson on how that team is going to be constructed and the way they're going to do things. And, and, and this is going to be a hell of an opportunity for Mike Vrabel to say, I told you so, if Traylon Burks doesn't make an impact right away. No, no doubt. I mean, hey, listen, the teams we're talking about here, it's, it's the two number one seeds and a number two seed in the AFC. And that's what I think even makes it even better. It's the teams that were at the top of the mountain that are going, nah, we're more than just one guy. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We will. I mean, those teams are really good. I don't think they're going to fall off, you know, the, the edge of the earth here. But – you know, what does the offense look like without these weapons? And are they as dangerous on that side of the ball? And is it worth it to let that guy out the door like you're talking about? You know, hopefully we'll be able to maybe be able to answer some of those questions next offseason. It's only been one week since we became aware of the Kyler Murray homework clause. It feels like it's been a lot longer than that. There's been some more fallout from the ill-advised decision of the Cardinals to put the four-hour independent study provision in his contract. We'll get you caught up to speed on that when PFT Live continues right after this. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. 
It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.